Episode 10. A hawk sits atop a statue over Canavan Square. Don't talk, just listen. Under the black sun there is no hope, only mystery. Wonder and danger. Black Sun Dispatches on the Cinefunks Podcast Network. A red tailed hawk watches over Canavan Square. It is perched on the head of George Washington, or his statue, anyway. If the head had any opinion on the bird, on the view, on the flux of pigeon shit crusted to his shoulders and dotted all across his body, he keeps those views to himself. That statue's been in place since 1932. The hawk may have been there earlier. It sits and it broods and it is more at rest than any human soul could ever hope to be. The hawk has seen good times and bad times. There have been seasons when the bones stand out against its skin and the feathers molted off its wings. There have been seasons of plenty when it has tasted of such rare and rich cuts of beasts great and small and in so doing has swollen up so big that only a miracle allowed it to retain its powers of aviation. Four men will soon approach each other at the center of Canavan Square. The hawk is waiting. The hawk never used to wait for things, much less people. Time is an illusion humans play on themselves to make spring days sweeter. But a creature like the hawk on the head of the statue of George Washington would normally have no care for such things. For a creature such as the hawk, there is only now. Now was always changing, sometimes possessing food and warmth and safety, sometimes possessing none of these things. They all amount to now for a hawk, a hawk whose eyes are gold and black and reveal nothing. But this hawk is indeed waiting, waiting for when four men reach Canavan Square. And when the right man arrives, the hawk is going to tear his eyes from his head. Before we tell you about those men, we have to tell you about this other one. Eduardo Rojas, who was 37 when he died, Eduardo Rojas grew up in the Northeast, where hawk cries ring clear across hazy summer days with the same frequency as church bells. His family and friends all told him he was crazy to think he was seeing the same hawk every time, but Eduardo knew better. The same hawk sat on the same branch each time he saw it, and the boy quickly began to take it as an omen. 
Whether it was an omen of good or ill, Eduardo did not know. But when he checked out his window and he saw the hawk, he knew something was coming. The hawk was outside the window the day Eduardo missed the bus to school. His mother had chewed him out the entire drive to the public school, lambasting him for screwing up her morning and forcing her to be late for work. When they arrived at the school, they were told the news. A tire had blown out. The bus had swerved, had skidded, had smashed, had caught fire. The sheriff's department was in the process of pulling dental records so they might identify any of anything that remained. Three years later, the hawk appeared outside his window for the first time in months. Eduardo faked stomach pains until his mother agreed to let him stay home. Midway through an episode of Rocco's Modern Life, the broadcast was interrupted with breaking news. Kyle Nygaard, furious that no girl had agreed to go to prom with him, had arrived at school with an automatic rifle obtained with cash money from a gun show that had come through town a few months back. Eduardo and his mother spent the evening on the couch, wrapped in the same blanket, each wishing the other would change the channel. When Eduardo was 25, his mother died from a sudden and violent case of breast cancer. No sooner had the doctors identified the lump than her vitals began to plummet. Eduardo had been too stunned to weep until he walked out the automatic doors of the hospital and heard the hawks cry and saw it circle overhead once just the once, and then aim itself towards the infinite, gliding away like a river traveling inexorably to the ocean. And then, Eduardo had wept. He had not been sure of his life in the city, being as it was to change from his life of green lawns and quiet nights, where the stars shone so brilliant a boy might have plucked one from the sky and played marbles with it. He had been so anxious until a hawk tarried at his apartment window to clean its wing. It was the same bird. He knew it. And with a heart newly lightened with the knowledge that magic can follow you anywhere, he set about building a life for himself in the city. It was a good life until it ended. At age 37, Eduardo Rojas lay on his back on the asphalt, bleeding out from a gunshot wound to the chest. Above him was a black sun and a gray slate sky. He no longer knew if he knew about magic. Five years beneath the black sun, and he had seen gods and monsters and knew them all off by heart. But magic? He hadn't seen or heard the hawk since the city had been transported to the strange new world. It was hard for belief to hold up under the circumstances. He began having trouble breathing. And then he heard it. A single cry 
a war cry of one small form against the world. He caught one glimpse of that small form circling overhead. Eduardo Rojas smiled through a mouthful of blood and thought, it's the same hawk. It's always been the same hawk. In this state of perfect and tranquil belief, he died. And to this day, not even the hawk knows if he was right or not. As we have said, four men are headed to the center of Kinnaman Square. All four are on foot. Two of these men are known quantities to you. Mr. Oaks is a big man with a big red beard. He says many things, but what he leaves out tends to be more important. Mr. Mayhew is a small man with a somewhat nervous manner. He almost never speaks, but no one ever assumes that he's mute or deaf. One always has a sense that he is holding out. The third man has taken the longest route to get here. His name is Kamath McMurray, and he has the stature and bearing of a man who could only be called Kamath McMurray. At private school, his friends called him Byro, under the assumption that, like the pen, Kamath leaked blue when opened. Kamath McMurray no longer bothers with friends. He has come from the center of the city. He has come from the man McRae. The fourth man is hardly yet a boy. His friends call him Scuzz, and he has a hard time recalling any other title. His group does not go beneath the streets like the sewer tribe, or fortify an area the way the man McRae did the center of the city, or the way Mistress Oaks and Mayhew helped reclaim and reopen the St. Peter's Hospital. Scuzz's group wanders and scavenges and picks at pieces of life from fields of death. At long last, all four men stand at the center of Canavan Square. The hawk ruffles its feathers. Here we are, Mr. Oak says, after each man has taken their stand. But why are we here? Colin McMurray adjusts his sleeves. He thinks it makes him look like James Bond, or an old-timey gangster, or at least that movie where James Bond plays an old-timey gangster. It's come to the attention of my employer, he says, me and the man McRae, that your facility has been repurposing fuel resources that we had marked as our own. We're taking gas out of cars that you wanted for yourself, eh? Mr. Oak says. Well, so what? The city's full of cars. Go find some more. Conleth McMurray scoffs. He's a man who only scoffs, never laughs. The vehicle is not the issue here, he says. The issue is a willful disregard of the tenants set forth by my employer, tenants 
which are of benefit to all of us. Now, he is cut off by Scuzz. Scuzz, confused by the vocabulary and annoyed at to have spoken yet, hollers, You're not the boss of us! I am not, Conleth McMurray says. But my employer is. He and his flare system and defensive posts are the only reason as many of us are still alive as we are. If you wish to continue to be in that state of being, and don't wish to see your hospital in flames or your brethren dragged through the street from the back of a truck, I suggest you cede to his will. And what, Mr. Oaks replies, is his will? He doesn't want us touching gas he thinks he owns, I've gathered that. The fuel is irrelevant, Conflict Murray says. My employer would like to task both of your organizations with a mission. Whoever completes this mission will be given free reign to harvest as much fuel as they might ever need. I'm not gonna work for some fuck like him, Scuzz spits. Or you. He turned to go. The asphalt where he was about to step exploded. The city's stillness was broken by the sound of a sniper rifle cocking. We assumed antagonism, Conlick McMurray continues. No one may leave until I've said my piece. Now, what we want is a minor thing. There is a, and here he hemmed and hawed, a person, yes, who is running amok in the city, wears red hood, goes by the name of Cassandra. That chick, Scuzz says, sure, she saved her asses half a dozen times at least. Mr. Oaks nods. Mr. Oaks nods. There's not a person at the hospital who doesn't have a story of some daring do that she did. Conleth fidgets. Yes, that does sound like our... Ahem... Young lady. You will bring her to us. Scuzz does a double take. What? Why? Mr. Oaks is known throughout the hospital and larger city as being a jolly sort, a man whose eyes twinkle with stardust during even the darkest nights. His eyes now are dead cold, burned out in a forgotten fireplace. We will not help you catch her, he says. Cassandra will not come to any harm, Conleth McMurray insists. The answer is no, Mr. Oak says. Yeah, Scuzz exclaims, drafting off the older, bigger man's defiance. Well then, Conleth Murray sighs, I suppose we'll have to find some other representatives to deal with. He raises a hand to give a signal. The other three men flinch. A finger wraps around a trigger and begins to squeeze. But then, a hawk screams. The hawk does not fly. 
it falls, but falls in such a way that the speed of the fall becomes power, which becomes more speed. It does not falter. It passes over the heads of the four men, heads craned up to see the bird's arc, and then it is veering up, yet somehow going even faster, no momentum lost. An open window marks its destination. The sniper has no idea how to react to the hawk, and by the time he gathers himself together, it is far, far too late. The hawk is inside. What could be more ridiculous than a bird indoors? The hawk is sinking his talons into the soft flesh of his face. He closes his eyes to scream, but eyelids are no match for a hawk's beak. The hawk takes the eyes, one peck each. For good measure, it also gouges a piece from the sniper's outstretched tongue. The sniper wails, blind, speechless, and in pain that cannot be measured. The hawk gives a very human nod of satisfaction and takes to wing out the window. The killer, Everwada Rojas, is left to bleed and moan, and he does both. Down in Canavan Square, the four men saw the hawk dive. They heard the screams. They saw the hawk fly away. For a long moment, Conleth McMurray stares at the window, trying to will the sniper to rightfully reappear. When he finally turns back, Scuzz is grinning. I think Miss McRae might need to find some new representation, the boy says. Conleth McMurray begins to run. He does not resemble James Bond when he runs. Well, maybe Roger Moore. Scuzz cackles and begins to give chase, but he pauses before the pair of Mr. Oaks and Mr. Mayhew. If I see Cassandra, I'll tell her the fuck in the high tower is looking for her. You do the same? Both men nod. Scuzz gives them a thumbs up, and the wolf is off after the sheep. Mr. Oaks searches the sky for the red-tailed hawk, but it is gone. I suppose, he begins, that it is too much to hope that that was an ordinary bird which so happened to do something that was a little bit out of the ordinary. Mr. Mayhew shakes his head. God. Young one. Shit, says Mr. Oaks. Bad enough when it was just the alligator. King Croc is a crocodile. Whatever, says Mr. Oaks. And then, it's not going to get any better, is it? To which Mr. Mayhew says, I did warn you. I tried to warn you. After, the pair stopped to check on Sniper, but he was too far gone for even one of Priya Patel's record-setting drives to save. Mr. Oak sat with him while he died. After, they told the story to some administrators at the hospital. They bid them to keep it secret. The secret leaked. Word of the miracle spread through the halls, 
until pretty much everyone at St. Peter's knew about the red-tailed hawk. Word soon reached Carver and Liz Smith, who desperately needed a miracle of their own. But that's another story. Hello, and thank you for listening to another episode of Black Sun Dispatches, part of the Cinepunks Network. Uh, it is late in the evening, and I am Brendan Foley, and I write, produce, and perform this show. Uh, Black Sun Dispatches is only one of many great shows offered by the Cinepunks Podcast Network. Even if you didn't like this one, uh, give a listen to Cinepunks, our flagship show, uh, or Loud Fast Philly, or Horror Business, or uh, we have a whole bunch of other really cool shows and a lot of really great writing uh, that's available on the site. So there's something for everyone. Uh, so find what is out there for you. Uh, Cinepunks is sponsored by Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Uh, you can hit them up at xlvacx.com. Once again, it's Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations at xlvacx.com. You can be a Cinepunk sponsor yourself by supporting our Patreon, which you can find on our website. If you like the show, uh, please spread the word on Twitter, Facebook. Uh, use smoke signals if you have to. Just get the word out there and make sure everyone knows about this awesome, weird show, uh, Black Sun Dispatches. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at the true Brendan F. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at Black Sun Show. Uh, I'll have all kinds of updates, hints about future episodes, uh, and other kind of cool, weird stuff. Uh, yeah. So Black Sun Dispatch's logo was designed by Jennifer Rogers. Uh, the show is produced using Reaper, and music for this week's episode is Winter by E.L. Heath. Uh, so kind of a funny story. This was not supposed to be a two-part episode, uh, but in writing about this hawk, I realized that I liked it, and I wanted to do a little bit more with him. It, the, the bird. Uh, so when we come back, our next episode is on August 21st. Uh, it will be another episode about this strange bird uh, and some of the things that it does. Once again, a huge thank you to everyone at Cinepunks who makes this show possible, and thank you to any and all listeners who are out there. Uh, I hope you guys will all join us when we come back in two weeks. Uh, like I said, August 21st for the second episode about... Uh, this strange and weird hawk that I guess is a little bit of a god now if you pay attention to what Miss Mayhew was saying. Uh, thanks, guys. Have a good night or day, whenever you listen to this. Have a good one. Bye.